David in Psalm 34 said, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. As we spend a little bit of time preparing for God's word, I, I want you to read those words with me or just say them with me. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. So if somebody walked up to you and said, I was told the Lord is good. Do you believe that? What would you say to them? If somebody said, okay, so you're telling me he is good, so can you give me an example of his goodness? Think about what you might say then. Taste and see that the Lord is good. David's words are actually an invitation. They're an invitation to understand and experience the goodness of God. I want us to soak on that a bit today. And I want us to soak on it because I want us to be people of God who don't just walk around throwing that out flippantly. Not because it's not true. But I'm not sure about you, but boy, I, I get weary sometimes, even with Scripture, how people just throw it out. I'm guilty of it. Now, I absolutely believe God's word is holy and true and mighty and powerful. And we'll talk about that more today. But I don't believe God's word is intended to be something that we just throw out and hope it sticks. I believe the power of the word of God as it was created is seen very vividly in the lives of his people. David was an example of that. It's why David could say, taste and see that the Lord is good. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and I I want to lead us in a time of prayer. And I'm going to ask you, in this season of Thanksgiving, I'm going to ask you to ask yourself the question, why is God good? Why do you think he's good? Think about that for a moment. Why is God good? Why do you believe he's good? Maybe you're here today and you're doubting his goodness. Lord, as we think about David's words here, taste and see that the Lord is good. I pray that we would be people who would not just talk about God's word, but we would live it. That our lives would be a very embodiment, a very testimony of all that God is. And just as Jesus was the word made flesh, while we are not divine, while we are not God, we are created in his image and Part of our role, part of our responsibility. I pray that we comprehend today of how the Word of God, how God Himself 
is to be tasted and seen and proclaimed. In this season of Thanksgiving, I pray that we would never be guilty of only being thankful right now. I pray as we soak on these words and other words in Scripture today is that, Lord, you would use them to not only prove your goodness, but to make it come alive in us. Because that's your hope and that's your desire. That's our assurance. Help us to taste. Help us to see that you are good. In Jesus' name, amen. Taste and see that the Lord is good. You may know these words written by David were written at a rather interesting time in David's life because David had written these words around the time where he had actually, he was fleeing. We know David spent um, a good part of his early life fleeing and running for his very life, his safety, his protection. And there was this scene, and you can read about it in the Old Testament, there's this scene where he stands before King Abimelech. And, and in that scene, David is fearful, and he's not sure how he's going to escape alive. And so what he does is he pretends to be insane. He pretends to lose his mind and act ridiculous before Abimelech. And in that, he escaped. I don't know exactly how David was feeling after that time. I would imagine there was a little bit of wondering as, well, maybe I should have trusted God a little bit more. But regardless of those circumstances, David pens Psalm 34. And in the heart of that psalm are these words, taste and see that the Lord is good. David had a testimony He had a testimony about God's goodness. Do you? Sometimes the word good in our culture um, seems a little insufficient. Particularly because we live in a day and age where everything is exaggerated and everything is built up. And sometimes we try to manufacture things by just adding more and more words. It's why the word amazing just sometimes goes right through me. Because if you've noticed, everything is amazing today. Yeah, amazing can be a really good word. But the reality is, is sometimes I wonder if we look at the goodness of God and, and, and believe that, well, that's okay, but is it really enough? I hope so. I hope it's good enough. I hope it is good for you. You see, when we talk about God's goodness, when when you look throughout Scripture about God's goodness, what you see over and over is a a compilation, a, a collection of God's perfect attributes, His perfect characteristics. And the beauty of them is that they are all exercised in His goodness toward His creatures. That's part of what makes God good. And in all circumstances, in all relations, God's goodness wells up. It comes out of God because God cannot be anything but good. 
The old cliche, little catchphrase, God is good all the time, all the time, God is good. Is maybe silly as that sounds, it is who God is. Being good is something that God has always been and always will be. He was good before he created things. He will be good long after this earth ceases to exist in this form. He doesn't have to be amazing because he's good. We don't have to make him more than he is by trying to build him up to be something else because he's good. The very essence of God is goodness. We see it played out in his kindness. We see it played out in his compassion. We see it played out in his mercy, in his grace, in his benevolence. How's that for a word? Which essentially means his charitable giving. God is a giver. And that's one of the ways he demonstrates his goodness, is he gives. A.W. Tozer, in his book, The Knowledge of the Holy... It's a little book that I'm in the process of reading. I've been working on it for several months. And it's not very thick. And it's chapter after chapter of the characteristics, the attributes of God. And he has a chapter on God's goodness. And he says this. He says, the goodness of God is the drive behind all the blessings he daily bestows upon us. Anything you ever received or will receive comes out of God's goodness. Pure and simple. It's one of those things, it's such a simple truth, but it is so incredibly profound as we look at it in our lives. Taste and see, David says, that the Lord is good. Talking about goodness is pretty easy, like most things in life, right? Just to go around and talk about something is pretty easy. But there's something different when you're all in. There's something different when you actually, like David suggests, you taste. You've had food spread all before you this week, and you're going to have it again probably in the coming week, right? We have no, no shyness of food in reality. So what if you walked up to this beautiful spread Pumpkin pie, turkey, dressing. Think of all the things you absolutely love. The food of thanksgiving. And, and before you, you just stood there. And you just, you just stared at it. Yeah, oh boy, that's, that looks good. That looks good. Wow, that's good. All right, we're done gathering. We'll see you all later. And you go to work the next day. And somebody says, so how, how, was, how was the food? Oh. Oh, man, was it good. Really? Tell me about it. Tell me about what you had. Oh, I didn't taste it, but I looked at it, and boy, was it good. Ridiculous, right? Yeah, that's for the person you want to grab a pumpkin pie and throw it in their face. Come on, buddy, get into it. Not really. I'd save it and eat it myself. How often do we walk around and we talk about the goodness of God when we perhaps have not tasted the goodness of God? And I know for most of you in this room, you've had the joy, the satisfaction, the very delight and contentment of tasting the goodness of God. That is a gift. But you know, you do not have to look far that there are those who can't even begin to comprehend, 
like some who are starving in places in this country in America who could never imagine a spread of food like the food we eat. And I don't say that to guilt us. I'm just saying how ridiculous it is for us to have this abundance and only talk about it. How different would people perceive that God is if we as the people of God would talk about how we've tasted goodness. We would live how the goodness of God has played out in our lives. You see, these words taste and see are all about, David is saying, in an invitation, he's saying, come on, try. Try God. And that sounds almost uh, heretical, doesn't it? Try God, really? Uh, I think that's pretty much where all of us started, right? Yeah, some of you, some of you have known nothing but God in your life. Praise him for that. But there was still that point, there was still that time in your life where you had to embrace it. You had to embrace who God was. And you could speak personally, I've tasted and I've seen that God is good. David says, look, learn, see, find out, put God to the test. That's another thing we're afraid to say. Oh, we don't put God to the test. I'm not saying we rouse God. I'm not saying we incite God. But God can handle anything because he's good. And if we are people that merely stand on the edge and do not immerse ourselves in this life as the people of God, and do not taste what a cheap imitation of, of delight and satisfaction. Yeah, we should have a holy fear of God. We talked about that last week. But it is that holy fear of God that lets us walk to the table with confidence and assurance that our God is good. David invites confidently. This is what I love about David. In all of his imperfections, as a man after God's own heart, what he does when he says this, he says, taste and see. I'm telling you, it's worth it. Can you speak with that conviction? Can you tell personally why God is good? I hope you know scripture and you should know scripture. But more than that, I want scripture to come alive in your life. So when you say, like David says, taste and see that the Lord is good, is that you can say, let me share about how that has demonstrated itself in my life. You see, I don't want to be someone who simply talks about God's goodness. I will. You won't shut me up. But I want to experience it. I don't just want to experience when I'm around God's people. I want to experience it when I'm in the most evil of places in this world. I don't want to just talk about it when I'm among dear brothers and sisters. I want to talk about it. I want to experience it with I'm people, with people who have never begun to understand why they need God. Let them know. Knowing his goodness. I want to be a man of God. 
that embodies his goodness. Not out of my ability, but because my whole heart, my whole soul, my whole life screams, God is good. Throughout scripture, we see over and over and over again, both collectively and individually, we see people testifying to the goodness of God. Peter, in 1 Peter, actually in referencing and soaking on Psalm 34, 8, the entire Psalm of 34 for that matter, Peter references this verse. If you do a further study of Peter, what you'll see is that 1 Peter, woven throughout, over and over 1 Peter, are, are, is, is the conviction the conviction that Peter has for the goodness of God. He says, like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. You see, Peter's spurring on these these, uh, men and women in the early church and saying, you've tasted that the Lord is good. Now crave it more. Now seek it with all that you are. He understood what David was saying. And now he, in his life, was saying to the people of God in that time in history. Are you saying that in your life to the people around you? Oh, taste and see that God is good. You'll get a little bit and you will want more. God is that good. Joshua. Joshua had so many things to hang his hat on. He took over from Moses. Talk about shoes to fill. But yet he did it. He did it with courage. He did it with strength. And he walked people into, through battles, into the promised land. And at the end of his life, David could have hung his hat on so many things. He could have said, look, look where I took you. Oh yeah, God had a little something to do with it. But I was quite the leader now, wasn't I? No, David didn't. David David stood before the people near his death. Excuse me, Joshua did. And he says this. "Now Now I am about to go to the way of all the earth. You know, Israelites, with all of your heart and soul, that not one of the good promises the Lord God gave you has failed. Every promise has been fulfilled. Not one has failed. Joshua testified to the goodness of God. I want to look and spend a little bit of time in another psalm of David's today. And it's actually 145. And if you have a copy of God's word, um, I want to encourage you to to open it up. Because we're going to spend some time here. Some of these will be on the screen. Some of it will not. Uh, Just an encouragement to bring your Bible with you. If you need a Bible, stop out at the Life at Home Center. And there's some Bibles out there for you. If you don't have one and you want one, just scoot next to somebody that does. Just don't be creepy about it, okay? This at another time of David's life. We don't know exactly what the circumstances were here. I believe, they, we believe that this was lit, written later in David's life. Psalm 145. And Psalm 145 is a part of the set of Psalms near the end of the book of Psalms that is all about praise. And what I want us to grasp here today, as we look at what David provides for us and some some really important insights for us to experience, to taste the goodness of God that I think are imperative for us in our life. 
So let's look at Psalm 145. Oh yeah, by the way, in Jewish practice, Jewish practice, this psalm was read, excuse me, recited, not read, recited. So that means it's here. It was recited in Jewish practice twice in the morning and once in the evening. 21 verses, it's not a short psalm. This is something that they wanted to continue to remind themselves and plan in their hearts and minds and soul. And I can only imagine what happened when they began to experience it, not just recite it. With me, look, if you would. I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. And I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of the power of your awesome works. And I will proclaim your great deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. All your works praise you, Lord. Your faithful people extol you. They tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might so that all people may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and in your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is trustworthy in all he promises and faithful in all he does. The Lord upholds all who fall and lifts up who, all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all he does and faithful in all he does. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry and saves them. The Lord watches over all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak in praise of the Lord. Let every creature praise his holy name forever and ever. David, again and again, talks about God's goodness in this psalm. And I believe he helps us understand what it means to experience God's goodness. So do I experience God's goodness just by doing more church things, by being around more more people who know God? That's part of it. But there's something else going on here. Those things are necessary. Those things are important. But what David communicates to us Very intently here is he said, if you want to experience, if you want to taste the goodness of God, then receive it. Receive it. We all like good gifts. Sometimes the greatest gift we snub our nose at. Receive his goodness. God is a giver. God is a giver over and over and over again. And it's always for our good. Psalm 145 verse 16 says, You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. That's who God is. And so, 
David points to some things. He says, so be thankful. Oh, how appropriate Thanksgiving, right? I want to be a man where I don't need a Thanksgiving to be thankful. I don't need a holiday. I don't need a turkey. I do not need a pumpkin pie. I do not need anything to be thankful for who God is and his goodness. Because when I walk out my door, there's this thing called general revelation. It is the revealing of God in his creation. And wherever I go, not just in the pretty bushes and the pretty trees, but in the pretty faces I see every day. And the handsome men. And the people who haven't showered. And the people who are homeless. I see evidence of God's good creation. Receive with thankfulness. It's such a simple thing. But I wonder how often we run by it. I wonder how often we take for granted I wonder how often we walk through a day and the very things that we're most thankful for, we fail to tell God how thankful and grateful we really are. 1 Timothy 4, Paul says, For everything God created is a good, another testimony to God's goodness, and nothing is to be rejected if it, if it is to be received with thanksgiving. We've all seen the child or maybe the adult who gets a gift and there's no thanksgiving or appreciation it doesn't matter how great the good is, great the gift is if we don't appreciate it. The other night, I just had some time and I walked up into my office at home and I pulled off uh, a Bible. It's an old Bible that actually belonged to my great-grandfather on my mom's side, Andrew Petrie. I never knew Andrew um, really have not heard much about him. But my mom gave me this Bible after my grandfather passed away, her dad, and uh, she thought I would appreciate it, so she gave it to me. And so every once in a while I pull it out. I haven't pulled it out in forever. But I sat down at my desk the other night at home and I just pulled it out. And I just started looking through it. I wasn't looking for anything. I was just, just kind of perusing through it. And back in that generation, what you may know is people didn't write in their Bibles very much. It was kind of like not, the, you just didn't do that. Well, interestingly enough, my great-grandfather did. And so as I'm looking, he, he makes a few notes here and there, not many. But on the front cover and the first inside pages and the last pages, what I see are all these little nuggets of stuff. Some scripture, and then there's tucks of paper in. Some are so faded. I mean, I'm working really hard to try to see what they're saying. And I came across this phrase. And... Just so you know, I am not a fan often of little catchy phrases that like fix everything and make everything summed up in a few words. They tend to drive me nuts, frankly. But I found this, and I've never heard this before. If I have, I've forgotten. You may have heard it, so it may not be new news. But he wrote these words just on the top of one of the pages in the front of the Bible. He said, it said, humbly grateful, not grumbly hateful humbly grateful not grumbly hateful and I smiled when I read it but I also cringed I smiled and I I longed to know my great grandfather how did he do with that the very fact that he wrote it though spoke to me because I thought he he understood it I don't know how well he lived it but he sought to understand it 
But then I looked at my own life and just very quickly when we read things like this and scripture does this to us especially where sometimes we're overwhelmed and immediately we're thinking, oh my gosh, I'm grumbly hateful a little, whole lot more than I am humbly grateful. I think that's a question we have to ask, not just at Thanksgiving, not just when everything is good and wonderful, but in the deepest and darkest of our times, are we humbly grateful? Have you known people like that? Because there's some sitting around you right now. Know them. And I can guarantee you, at the heart of that, it's the goodness of God. Taste and see that the Lord is good. David also says in verse 5, I will meditate on your wonderful works. We don't talk a lot about meditation. We take some times in our collective worship to, to pause and whatever. And let's just be honest, it always feels awkward, doesn't it? It's like, okay, we're going to start up again. We're going to get on with this. We're together. Let's get something done. Sounds like our lives. I wish I could say at 46 years old that it's easier for me to slow and meditate on the goodness of God than it's ever been. No, it's harder. <laughs> it's harder. But I am impressed more and more by God how much I got to do it. I've got to do it and I want to do it. David says, I'll meditate. Now whatever that may look like for you, I'm not talking about some goofy new age thing, but focusing and concentrating on the goodness of God. Again, do you just say it because it's something we church people say? Or do you say it because it's in your heart, it's in your soul, it, it's, it's in your life? Don't rush by it. Just like thanks is necessary in receiving God's goodness, meditation too, especially on his word. Especially on his word. There's a lot of great Bible apps out there. There's a lot of great studies we can do and, and little snippets we can get every day. And I know many of you do them. And I'm, I'm thankful for that. But I want to cautious us on something that we aren't just looking for the latest bite-sized nugget of who God is for us that day. What if it is Psalm 145 for the next 40 days that we meditate on? I don't know. But all I know is that God's goodness will rise up more than ever in my life if I choose to meditate on his word and his promises and instruction. But I think the greatest demonstration that David speaks to about the goodness of God is something that had not happened yet. But yet David had experienced it in that season of his life before Jesus came. He experienced God's forgiveness. You see, when we receive God's goodness, we have to receive it in dependence on his forgiveness. God's goodness is demonstrated in two ways primarily, in his giving and his forgiving. In his giving and his forgiving. And all the great things that God gives us, as beautiful and as wonderful as they are, if we don't have the forgiveness of God, none of it matters. You see, God's goodness starts in his forgiveness through his son Jesus. Verse 8 of Psalm 145 says, The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and rich in love. When we receive 
that personal relationship through Jesus Christ that's been offered to us and we turn our lives over to him and we'd submit everything to him, that dependence is an experience of God's goodness. You know, the, the, the chorus we just sang, and it's one of those that almost every time brings me to tears. Oh, the blood of Jesus. Yeah, I know to some people that may sound kind of creepy. But oh, the blood of Jesus. Because I know in that blood is my forgiveness. In that blood is my recognition that I am nothing without God. I will never experience goodness in this life or an eternal life without the blood of Jesus and his forgiveness. And it's true for every one of you. I think what breaks my heart more than anything is there's so many people more and more in this world that don't even know. Well, Dan, there's churches all around. They have an opportunity to know. They're not going in them. Well, there's more prints of God's word and more languages than ever in the world. They're not reading it. They're not reading it. But he has his church, right? He has his church who has a responsibility and a role to receive his goodness with thanks in meditation and in dependence. Over the last six to nine months, we've been spending um, more time confessing together. And as your pastor, I know this has been a struggle. Something, it's not something traditionally we have done as a church. Once in a while, like at love feast or communion, we have that time of examination. But, but regular, consistent confession. And here's why we've been doing it. And here's why it's good. No matter how awkward, no matter how sometimes shameful it feels. It's not to beat anybody up, but it's to look to the goodness of God. Because sometimes we run and we run and we run and we run. Sometimes we, we, we scream God is good as we're flying by a person. And sometimes what we need to do more than anything is stop and pause and say, I need your goodness, God, more than ever. And it may not be because you have any new sin in your life, but there's plenty of sin around. There's plenty of evil around. There's plenty of bad around. And when we get on our knees and we confess, whether we do that uh, physically or in, in heart and mind and soul, what happens is we are able to see the goodness of God. Because what confession does every time to us is rec- helps us recognize that we're not God. And if confession does no more than that, then it's good. So we're going to keep confessing. We're going to do it in different ways. It's going to be awkward. It's going to be weird. It may not be what you're used to. Maybe you have bad memories from another church or years ago. Our intention is for none of that to stir you except to point you to the goodness of God. Because otherwise we try to save ourselves. Otherwise, we try to forgive ourselves. Otherwise, we try to save our friend. Otherwise, we try to do all of that without being in dependence on God's forgiveness. Each time I preach, and I think this is true of Matt and Josh and Stan and others who have preached, at least in this church, 
is that when we plan and work on sermons, and you know, the last two weeks have been standalones, and so they've been prepared um, uh, not six months in advance, at least in terms of, of the, the topic and the layout, but we do that with a lot of our sermons, and in the week of or the weeks before, we dig into them. And every time, without a fail, my 17 years of preaching, every time there's something in that message, no matter what it is, that God just sticks in my crawl weird I know but it it just it sticks there and God says don't let this go this is the heart of this message for you Dan and I believe it's the heart of message for many and for us today it's in this point it's in the point that if we are going to receive his goodness, we have to do it with thanks. We have to do it in meditation and not run by it. We have to do it in dependence on his forgiveness. But most of all, we receive his goodness in all circumstances. And it's for our good. Christ followers, be very careful that you don't twist God to make him good just for you. Because sometimes it won't look very good, but he is still good. Last week, Susan and I had the, the, the overwhelming blessing of sitting with a young mother last Sunday afternoon. And this young mother is a former student of ours in the youth ministry from years ago. And she has, was having a very, very difficult week. There was loss in her life, and it was... Nothing of her own doing. And we sat on her mom and dad's couch and we cried together. And God gave Susan and I the greatest gift. This mother who is experiencing loss stood there, sat there, excuse me, through the tears, through the sobs, and she said, I don't like this, but I know God has a plan. She knew that God was good. And she was hurting. Susan and I wanted to fix it. We, we wanted to take care of it. But we couldn't. And the joy was that God gave us the gift is that this young lady who loves Jesus Christ with all of her heart said, essentially, God is good. I'm suffering right now, but God is good. You remember the story of Joseph in the book of Genesis? And Joseph's brothers, because they were jealous of him, sent him off, uh, sold him off to slavery. In fact, they were hoping he would die. They thought he did die. He didn't. He went into Egypt, became the second in power in Egypt under Pharaoh. And as life happens, season happens, next thing you know, David's family, excuse me, this, Joseph's family was there before him. Begging him to bring them into his company, his, their country because of the famine. And what happened was in that, is that they're standing, trembling before their brother, Joseph. Oh, Joseph could have had fun with this one. Okay, boys, got you right where I wanted you. This is what Joseph says. You intended to harm me. You intended to harm me. But God intended it for, what's it say? Good. To accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. 
I wonder if Joseph's life all the way along in the ups and downs in the pit as, as before he was sold into slavery, all of, those, all of those times when he was thrown into jail after being accused by Potiphar's wife, all of those things, I, I wonder how he was talking about and proclaiming the goodness of God. What this verse tells me is he didn't stop. Yeah, maybe he missed it a few times, but he didn't stop. Romans 8.28, I think, is one of the most misused verses in the Bible because many use it saying, God works together for our good. The reality, if you really look at that verse and you study that verse, what that means is you will benefit, but it is foremost for God's good. We do not experience the goodness of God simply because God is good to us. Sometimes we look in our lives and there is very little we see as good, but yet we can look beyond, which is why we need a church family. We look beyond and we see the goodness of God no matter what. You see, it's God's definition of good. It's not ours. It's not in our catchy little phrases. It's not in our nice little circumstances that were horrible, but boy, they turned out all great. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes it's horrible, but taste and see that the Lord is good because when you can't explain things and I can't explain things, we don't have to defend God. God is still good. When you don't see him working, when I don't see him working, God is good. When you can't feel him, and let's just be honest, church, how often do you come, even together as the people of God, all of us, and we walk away and say, well, I really didn't feel God this morning. Well, guess what? That's not God's fault. It's not the worship band's fault. It's not the technology fault. There's one thing, one thing, one who stands between us and experiencing the goodness of God. And if you do this, you'll get it. And it's not me, except for me. It's you, for you. You see, the goodness of God is always there. When we can't feel him, it's there. When we don't benefit, you talk to somebody in suffering, in the most horrible of circumstances, and you ask them if God is good. The coward runs from God and says, well, God was good in my life, but for some reason God gave up on me. The coward runs from God. The faithful stand before God and say, I will love you and I will proclaim your goodness whether it looks good or it doesn't. That's who I want to be as a man of God. And let me tell you, when I pray that prayer, it scares me to death because I don't want any more suffering in my life. I don't want it. I don't want it. But what I absolutely know not just because someone suffered for from me, more than me or I don't have it as bad as somebody else. Baloney. There's suffering everywhere. Everybody experiences it. But what I want to be able to say on that day is that God is good. God is good. And the only way people are going to get that, not just because I say it, because they see it. They see it in my heart. They see it in my life. I want it to see it in each other's lives. I need to see the goodness of God in you. I need it. I need it with all of my heart. Because I've watched some of you walk through things. I've watched you walk through things. And I just don't know that I could do it. And I watch you. And all I could do is say. Oh God is so good. 
God is so good because that is the only way they're walking through that. That's why the people of God, the church is so incredibly important. Why do we come together every Sunday morning? Because God is good. And I implore you, when God feels the least good, run to the goodness of God. Brennan Manning is an author who said this. A saint is not someone who is good. We often define saint by someone who does good. A saint is not someone who is good, but someone who experiences the goodness of God. A saint is not someone who is good, but who experiences the goodness of God. Boy, that puts it right where it needs to be, doesn't it? When you walk out the door, God is good. When you face that trial, God is good. When you're in the midst of grief, God is good. When you can't explain anything, God is good. And I hope and I pray that when you say that, it's not just because your pastor preached on it. You can testify to it. You can speak to that. Because I'll tell you, I don't want to wait till I die to understand the goodness of God. I don't want you to either. I don't want to wait until there's a trial or suffering for you to understand the goodness of God. I want you to, I want you to embrace it, soak in it right now. Taste and see that the Lord is good. So I encourage you to take Psalm 145 this week, maybe for the next couple of weeks. Just soak in it. Soak in it and taste and see that the Lord is good. Father, you're good. You testify to that over and over. David is just one example. This room is full of examples of your goodness. Not because things necessarily worked out the way we wanted them to. But because in the midst of it, when all else fell away, they proclaimed your goodness. Help us to utter the words of David in saying, I will. I will proclaim. I will praise. I will meditate. I will thank. And on and on and on. And may the goodness of God well up in our lives. May the goodness of God pour out in our lives. And may those who perhaps can't see in any other way see the goodness of God in us. We thank you for this gift. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.